You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Clear the aisles, the projectionist has smicha. Hi, I'm here with Yitzhak Kolkowski, and we concocted an interesting program, I think, today. Uh, we're talking about the Siadmak brothers. Um, and you say, who? What? You know, for most people, well, they know the Cohen brothers. Uh, they know the Mankiewicz's. Siadmaks? Like, what? Now, they are uh, refugees, both of them refugees from Germany, Jewish, um, very much so from father and mother both. Both were active in German cinema, um, expressionist type of cinema that was developed in the 20s and the 30s, um, the cinema that really um, came to the U.S. as well. We talked about Fritz Lang the other day. Uh, and Siadmax, uh were part of that same group. And of course, they realized as Jews, uh, they would be persecuted and they were able to escape. They came to Hollywood. And uh, I would say, you know, uh, Robert and his younger brother, Kurt, they had prolific careers here in the United States. And although people know about Michael Kartesh, uh, they know about uh, William Wellman, they know about a, a number of uh, Billy Wilder, a number of Jewish directors, um, many of them refugees who came here. There are the Siadmex, there are corners in the Hollywood geek world that know them very well. But I think it's worth for us to, to at least uh, uncover this iceberg a little bit about about who they were and uh, at least some of the films they made. Uh, some people, uh, now Yitzchak is, is obviously much more into Kurt uh, than Robert, right? Yitzchak, I mean, Kurt is a uh, uh, is someone who's special for you, right? Yeah, I guess for all monster kids, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he really was uh, not, first of all, uh, Kurt, although he did uh, his share of directing, uh, really, he's a was an incredible screenwriter. He really, in a way, uh, was prolific. And and you were just telling me off pod that he was the inventor in some ways of the whole Wolfman franchise. Yeah, he uh, not only of the Wolfman franchise, but of a lot of the mythology that we think of when we think of werewolves. He really invented. Clearly, there was a lot to mine out of that black forest <laughs> that uh, uh, Siadmek came from, and he was able to to give it uh, to put some a lot of skin and bones on that skeletal structure of those legends, and to turn out uh, uh, screenplays for a number of films that 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 so were he, the he, werewolf he, he featured. The idea of of a werewolf only being able killed by a silver bullet or a silver. He invented the idea of associating a pentagram with, as the sign of a wolf, the sign of the beast. Uh, obviously, a, a reference to Christian scripture, but it, it taking it um, not not what's written in there, and taking it further. And and the poetry that he invented, the, even a man who's pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf's bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. And the uh, they change it to the moon is full and bright. I didn't even have to look at that. <laughs> yes, you, you're able to pull that out of your hat, out of your strimal. <laughs> look, Siadmak was was extremely prolific. He he was he wrote eight, he was a writer on 82 different films, according to uh the websites. Um and again, I know that 
not all of them uh, were classics. It seems like he was doing it for the money, essentially. He wasn't, I don't know if he was a great auteur or not. I don't I know. If... Some, some of the ones that he made in the 50s, I, I, was, I was kind of disappointed with. The Creature with the Adam Brain, I had never seen it was for Columbia, and it was played on Spanguli a few weeks ago, and I was was not that impressed. It was not um, it wasn't as great as the Wolfman. The Wolfman really, you know, it, w- it was was really a great movie, and it and it became and it was a great franchise also. And, and the Admach wrote the screenplays for the first three movies that really were. You know, the main character was this Larry Talbot, uh, always played by Lon Chaney Jr. And uh, and, and when and Frankenstein met the Wolfman, right? And you know, those uh, were, those, there were five movies in the series, and the first three were were written screenplays written by Kurt Siadmuk. That was the Wolfman, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. And the House of Frankenstein, and the, well, unfortunately, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. They, they couldn't get Karloff. To play it right, Karloff they, they did not. Got, they got Lugosi. Well, but yeah, that's know. right. They got they got Lugosi to play Frankenstein. Well, it really it 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 made a certain amount of sense because the previous Frankenstein movie was Ghost of Frankenstein, and and in uh, Ghost of Frankenstein they had uh, Lon Chaney Jr. actually playing the Frankenstein monster. Yeah, so and here they so here they here they switched here. Lon Chaney Jr. played all all three because and the one movie that the two brothers made together was the son of dracula where lon chain jr was the son of dracula count alucard uh, down in the bayou um so yeah. he, and he played the the mummy uh, three times so lon chain jr did them all yes and, but oh. the um the as far as the the lugosi playing the frankenstein monster in frankenstein meets the wolfman uh, part of the idea was that in the previous two Frankenstein movies, The Son of Frankenstein, The Ghost of Frankenstein, uh, Lugosi played probably his his greatest role was Igor, the Hunchback, uh, where he really showed off his acting chops, I think, more than he did in, in, in Dracula and in both of those films. And in the end of Ghost of Frankenstein, Igor's brain was put into the Frankenstein monster. And so uh, the original plan was that in that movie, the monster would be talking and you would have Lugosi's voice, obviously, because it was Igor's brain in this monster. But they they did, I think they filmed some scenes where Lugosi spoke um, and Siadmak wrote lines for him. But in the end, they cut those from, from the movie. So you don't actually have them in the movie. And yeah. then... <laughs> Next one in the series though, was House of Frankenstein, and there you had really kind of two short vignettes where Karloff played a, a mad scientist, and he encountered Dracula, who was played by John Carradine, and then the, the Wolfman, again Lon Chaney, was always Lon Chaney, was the Wolfman, and Glenn Strange played the Frankenstein monster as more of a smaller character in this movie called House of Frankenstein. And the next two was which I continued the Wolfman uh, quintology, I guess, would be the House of Dracula. Again, mashing up Dracula played by John Carradine again, Frankenstein monster very briefly 
as, as uh, Glenn Strange, and the main character really once again would be would be the Wolfman, but played by Jackson, played, played, played by Lon Chaney. Lon Chaney, and then and then I, I have to say, just to interrupt here, and I hope I hope Chava's listening that. I think the 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 great homage that was done for Lon Chaney Jr. Gene Levy uh, played a character on SCTV called Woody Tobias Jr. And um, uh, you know, along with John Candy's Doctor Tongue, they were these <laughs> they were these two. You know, uh, they had been in horror movies together. And they were trying to somehow make a living, uh, opening up restaurants and uh, being, you know, trying to make still something out of their career. And uh, it, it, it's a great send up of of Woody, because, uh, again, Lon Chaney Jr., you know, he did as uh, as. Eugene Levy shows in this parody uh, is just always trying to live up and, you know, bank on who his dad was. Uh, obviously, you know, the man of a thousand faces, Lon Chaney himself, sort of invented in many ways the whole monster genre uh, in the silent films that he that he played in. Do you think Lon Chaney Jr., I mean, who's Siadmak and Lon Chaney Jr. were sort of like, you know, I guess attached at the hip, did you do you think Lon Chaney Jr. You consider him a a, a significant presence? You think he's one of the great uh, horror actors? I mean, he he was he was brilliant as Lenny and of mice of men of mice. Yeah, yes, men. right. That's true. That's true. And, and then, um, but this this character of the Wolfman is I, a really a brilliant character. He really, even though he made a lot of schlocky movies later, but play and even you know his other roles that he did just under a lot of makeup as the mummy and frankenstein monster and things like that um he he it wasn't much to talk about although it was interesting but the the wolfman character and and the continuity that there was throughout those five films even though it wasn't the best continuity but he really brought a lot of because he was a tragic figure he didn't he didn't want this he would really just wanted to die and he was really, you know, over in Frankenstein we meets the Wolfman. They have the music, um, musical number where it's the feast of the the new wine, and and you know, just they break out in song in the middle of this monster movie. And in the end, the guy singing wishes, uh, you know, this uh, this uh, Lawrence Talbot and and Frankenstein's uh, granddaughter that they should live eternally. And he was just screaming, no, I don't want to live eternity. I want to die. I want to die. And it was. I, yes. Being cursed by, by having to, to be this monstrous beast. Um, and, and, and the son of Dracula, which again, that's the one where the two brothers, you know, work together. Uh, Cheney was much more subdued. He was much quieter. He wasn't really, um, he, he, it was, it was a different type of character characterization a lot of that they say it's part of the brilliance of, of robert siadmuk's direction in that movie of how he you know was able to right. direct cheney oh I, I i'm not that impressed by that movie even though it's it's not bad but it's not it's when it, you know i love all of the universal monster movies but it's not really one of my top ones i think the the wolfman you know um all I, of them 
was much better. Yeah. Well, 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 before we move, you know, let's do a little speculation here. As you say, the 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 Wolfman is such a tragic figure. He's unlike you know the vampires like Dracula and his his ilk that they are the undead. They live forever through the blood of sucking of others. Um, the Wolfman is really tries to be a normal person, but is transformed into a monster every month and a monster that can't control uh, his, his himself, a monster that is basically uh, ready to kill. And, and even those that are close to him. Um, so in a way, yes, it's, you, uh, the wolf man doesn't have eternal life though, does he? He he does in these movies that he he winds up, you know. They take the if they take the silver out or whatever he he's resurrected and he's trying to figure out either a way to die or to um, or or to, to stop himself it. from transforming from, from transforming. Yeah, so, so meaning in in the in the you know that's the reason why he goes to the. Uh, to the house of Fre- to to Frankenstein's granddaughter is to try to find the secret of death and to be cured of this of this uh, just by being able to die because he couldn't he in 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 the Frankenstein meets the Wolfman that was the whole point was that he could not die. When, yeah, look, it definitely taps into a primal fear that I guess humans have their anger, uh, what they can be, uh, the beast aspect of man. Uh, so yes, the Wolfman isn't just you know a, a a weird transformation. In a way, it 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 really it scrapes the psyche of people's fears. We n- none of us like to see ourselves uh, in our worst moments, and the idea that you have a person who becomes the beast. I mean, this is really something that has to do with our own bestial nature. Um, the, it really taps into the aggression and other things which are part and parcel of life. I think that's part of the reason why, you know, it holds such power. I mean, uh, that, that, the... that's even the joke, it, again, this is not Siadmak already then, but in, in the Frankenstein, meet, in Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman, you know, Lon Chaney tells Lou Costello, I turn into a wolf, and he's like, you would you and the thousands of other men. What's the big right. deal? No, like- no, you're correct. The idea, which is a good point, uh, of course, Tex Avery and uh, and all his cartoons have the wolves being actual, you know, sex fiends uh, and you know, preying on all these women. So I think you're right. Part of it is it's not just the aggression of murder; it's the aggression of overpowering women and having them. That's all part of, I think this uh uh this this curse of the wolfman i think it really that's what it taps into man knowing himself as a in the throes of lust rapists um people that attack uh out of anger um people who kill in such frustration and i guess that's part of the reason why the 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 story of the wolfman could um, be recycled and, and it's still this wolfman and they're both vying for the love of whatever the the heroine of the girl so I think it's still very much part of popular culture and still, you know, extremely uh, rings a lot of bells uh, with people. Um, another, another movie, would, I don't know if you heard what Chava said, that I think we might have brought up in the past that um, Cheney did, w- w- mentioning this, that idea that you just mentioned about 
you know, the rapist and this, that he plays um, this, this fellow who's in the movie called The Alligator People. Uh, he, he has a moment where he's about to rape this woman and the, the alligator man saves her, which is actually her husband is the alligator man. And um, it, it's, it's frightening. It really is, is chilling how he captures that. And so he, he, he certainly had better acting chops than he's often given credit for. You know, you see some of the other movies that he did, like The Indestructible Man or whatever, the more schlocky type movies when he was just, that whole movie, even though he originally had lines, but he had a, he had a sore throat. So they just, they <laughs> had him only have a few lines in the beginning of the movie and then he was mute the rest of the movie. But, well, you know, you know, Cagney, of course, made a film called Man of a Thousand Faces, which was a biopic about Lon Chaney Sr. Um, and I saw that film many, many years ago. It wasn't too, again, it, it, it's a Hollywood treatment of the Lon Chaney story. Um, and it's interesting. I think I think Lon Chaney Jr. was upset that he was not asked to play that part. I'm pretty sure. I, um, and, you know, his name wasn't Lon. His name was Creighton. They just they he changed until they the filmmakers wanted to cash in on the father, so that's why they started calling him Lon Chaney or Lon Chaney Jr. Was unaware totally about Kurt's contributions, um, but I had heard about Robert. I had heard about Robert Siadmak. Um Many people have uh, pointed to him as the one of the core creators of what later became known as film noir. Um, and as we talk about black film, part of what Robert did was really bring, as I said, that dark expressionist images into film, the type of things that silent films uh, really perfected. But he was able, with the advancement of film techniques and sound, uh, to really do incredibly... Um, uh, beautifully graphic stuff. Uh, many people consider Robert sort of like a bargain basement Hitchcock because of some of his, uh, his, his attempts at, you know, brilliance at camera work. But I actually believe that uh, he is sold short as well. Uh, he, it's true. You know, not everything that he made is a classic, but there are two films in particular that I happen to catch this past week, once again on Criteria Channel, uh, one of them is called Phantom Lady, and Phantom Lady was uh, uh, discovered. It it was written by William Irish, which is really the pen name of Cornell Woolrich, uh, who had written a. Uh, he was one of the most prolific, brilliant uh, mystery writers of the 30s and 40s. And so many of his properties were turned into films of one type or another, or television programs. Um, and, and this story is, is, is really uh, in, you know, has such power to it. You have a person who has uh, gone out on the town with a woman, and he's upset and she's upset, and they don't even exchange names with each other. Um, but they've gone out and they they've uh, had they've gone to a bar, they've been in a cab, they've gone to a a Broadway show. But he doesn't get her name. She doesn't want to sell her name. She's been through too much. Let's just enjoy each other's company. When he comes home, he discovers that his wife has been strangled and the police are in his apartment. 
Of course, he has the perfect alibi. But when he goes to uh, confirm his alibi with the police inspector in tow, every single person who he remembers being with, who was part of that night, remembers him, but doesn't remember the woman. And there you get the phantom lady. Um, and here he is, an innocent man being set up, but by who? And where is this woman? Why she disappeared? Why is everybody lying? Uh, the, that's the setup for the film. What's interesting about it is that the protagonist of the novel and the film um, is a woman. Not the phantom lady herself, but in a way the other phantom lady, uh, the working girl who during the 40s, especially when this film was made, had come into great prominence as so many of the, the young men had been out at war. Turns out that there is a secretary of this fellow who has his own engineering firm. And she, of course, has been secretly pining in love over her married boss but I guess she's never really been able to tell him. But now it turns out not only is his wife dead, but the boss is being uh, sent up the river. He's being uh, tried as a murderer. And she knows that her boss is a good human being, and she's going to try to solve this herself. And the film is really uh, follows the book in this way, that it's the odyssey of this woman trying to discover what's really going on. And Siadmak uh, films the scenes of her detective work, the way she stalks the bartender who lied um, with such drama, uh, with such tension. Uh, it's really as good as anything Hitch has ever done in terms of what's going to happen. The steps, the the looks that you get from uh, the the principles involved. The star of the film is an actress who was really just at the cusp of what could have been a really great career at that time. Ella Raines. Um, she was uh, she had done a couple of small things beforehand, but this was really 1944. It was really her breakout year. Um, uh, she she made this film. Uh, and she is clearly, she holds this film completely. Um, there is a scene that Siadmak films as she's continuing her investigations. Um, and of course, one of film noir's greatest uh, character actors, Alicia Cook Jr., who not only in The Maltese Falcon, but in so many films, in, in Kubrick's The Killing, plays a crucial, crucial role. The I think Alicia Cook Jr. never mailed in a bad performance. He is such a dramatist persona. Um, and in this film, uh, Alicia Cook was given some drumming lessons because he's the drummer at the Broadway show that this Carmen Miranda-type character, actually it was actually Carmen Miranda's younger sister, uh, Aurora Miranda, who actually played this role. And part of the uh, the uh, key, part of the key aspect that's going to solve the mystery is that the phantom lady was wearing a ostentatious hat that Aurora Miranda was wearing during one of the dance sequences. And uh, she, you could see that she was getting upset 
that there's someone in the audience wearing the same hat she is. How could that be? Especially the woman sitting in such a prominent place. Uh, the uh, the drummer, who's the drummer of the band, is played by Alicia Cook Jr. Uh, Ella Reigns, playing the uh, <laughs> playing the long suffering and love secretary, decides that the way she's going to find out information about who is paying them to keep quiet is to dress herself up in fishnet stockings and chewing gum and getting her head up in a, in a bun and, you know, uh, coming to the show and giving him the eye. Of course, you know, the, the, the film points out that she's really this wonderful girl from Wichita, Kansas, but she'd be willing to do anything to save her boss including dressing up as this cheap hussy and then allowing herself to be picked up by Alicia Cook. There is a scene which has been uh, pointed at by many, many film critics as one of the most erotic and um, shocking things ever to be put on film in the 40s, which was when uh, he takes her to a jive club. Fortunately, you know, there is very few blacks uh, in this film and not playing the the music that of course they helped develop but there's this jive little club like a little back alley and in that with shot in all these weird angles that Siodmak shoots it in um you have a, a scene where alicia cook gets onto the drums and staring with no audible dialogue into the face and form of Ella Reigns dressed as this hussy and she is trying to urge him on because she's hoping later to get the information from him. She feigns uh, just like in the film when Harry met Sally, she feigns the type of erotic pleasure of what's turning her on during this drum solo and the wildness in Alicia Cook's eyes and the ecstatic uh, aspect that Ella Reigns has during this this performance is is really, in a way, the closest Hollywood has ever ever come to in the forties to showing a sex scene because that's basically what it is. Um, and uh, it, it's incredible that Mac was able uh, and his crew were able to get that through the censors. Um, and uh, it, it turns out that that when uh, she drops a piece of paper that Alicia Cook Jr. realizes that she's just uh, she's not who she says she is. And she gets attacked by him and she has to run out of the his apartment. And of course, she finds refuge uh, with a kind German Jewish couple who live in a delicatessen across the street. Um, suffice to say that uh, Siodmak reveals the murderer about a little bit more than halfway into the film. And just like, you know, I guess Hitchcock in Psycho, it, that really isn't the point. Uh, as much as, you know, when uh, William, Cornel Woolrich wrote the story, you know, there was a sense of mystery. Siodmak actually is much more concerned about turning everything on its head. Um, there is a, uh, there's a number of, haunting scenes in the jail when she comes to visit her her uh her boss 
And there's another little piece of work here that I marveled at, and I don't know who came up with the idea. <laughs> we know that Yitzchak, there's probably been you know, thousands of films that have had trials and evidence being put into uh, towards the judge. And what is the way that uh, you know a, a film viewer can absorb that without without it being uh, just a bunch of exposition uh, that doesn't really have energy? So what Siodmak does is basically use the technique of of shorthand. You see the uh, uh, pieces of paper uh, emblazoned on top with the date in New York City and the actual date of 1943. And you can see the, the stenographer's hand writing in shorthand as the words are being said by the various witnesses and judges and lawyers, by the judge and lawyers. I thought that was a very uh, unusual and interesting technique uh, to keep the the this the trial going without having to resort to histrionics just seeing the the hand of the stenographer Chotone is the gets top billing in this film and he's the best friend who was in South America who becomes an ally to um the secretary to try to maybe save her boss um but you know, it, you know, it, it's really Ella Reigns' performance uh, and the way Siodmak actually turns it into a a, a great performance. Uh, it, it's 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 really, a, it, had it not been for the type of, you know, the type of expressionist shtick that he does, this film would, you know, it would be cute, interesting. Um, it, 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 this is really an example of how you can take B material and elevate it. And, you know, it's sort of like, you know, he could have really, you know, just made it on, done it as cheaply and as efficiently as possible. He really wanted this to be a work of art. And I, and I think it does stand that way. The other film that was made in the same year uh, that Siad Mack made in 1944, also with Ella Raines, uh, is called The Suspect. And it stars Charles Lawton and Ella Raines. And it's interesting, Yitzchak, if you take a look at the movie poster for this film, and of course the movie poster has to have a woman, it has to have a woman in some sort of a pose that'll bring all the wolves into the theater. And um, the uh, in this film, it said, the strange love that she had. Well, the reason is, is because Ella Raines is in love with Charles Lawton, who not only is probably 30 years or 35 years her senior, is probably also weighs probably about four times as much as she does. Uh, and, he, and he eats quite a bit in this film as well, as we know. Um, this film is, uh, is and it's, it's, I guess that's because Hollywood didn't know how to sell this film. I think it was a, I think it was a, somewhat of a box office bomb. But the film is really, again, Siodmak flipping things on its head. Basically, uh, there are, uh, Charles Lawton is a murderer. But he's the nicest murderer you've ever met. He is a wonderful, Mar Margaret Hamilton could not have played this role any greater 
played by Rosalind Ivan, and she is the shrew, most shrewish, um, shrill, disgusting wife you could have. She is, uh, uh, not only does she nag, she insults, she complains. In the beginning of the film, their son can't stand living with his mother uh, and, and, and tries to tell the father how he's fighting the good fight. And the father tries to, Lawton tries to be as, uh, as, as, Mr. Her, as Mr. Marshall. He tries his best to, to be civil with her. But um, she, if anyone is deservant of being, uh, uh, being not hit by a, a cane and, 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 and bludgeoned to death, it would be her, and everyone in the audience hates her because you realize that she is she is so cruel, she is so evil, and 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 so petty, uh, and and even as he tries to be realistic and talk about a divorce and how uh, she won't hear any of it. Now, of course, he he has started up this affair with this young woman who's looking for a job. That he discovers crying, and 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 she incredibly uh, falls for this nice gentleman who takes her out to various parties and and plays and things that she has never been exposed to before. Uh, the movie mentions how her father has just died recently, so I guess if you want to play psychologist here, you could say that she saw uh, this this older man as a father replacement, but there's a scene where she's working in a dressmaking shop and there's a bunch of models in various stages of undress. And she's talking about her boyfriend and she's talking about how, how he weighs 18 stone or something like that and how she really loves him. Um, the, uh, the second murder <laughs> that occurs is when a blackmailer steps in who is a wife beater who lives next door, a wife beater and a drunkard. And, and, and what's, what's incredible about this film is, is that you don't see any of the murders. You don't see any of the violence itself. Um, the, the, the murderer is the, is, is, a, is, is, is the hero. He's genteel. He, he has the best lines. Many people have said that Siodmak's uh, direction of Lawton was magnificent because Lawton was known for his excesses, if you remember. In The Hunchback of Notre Dame and many other films, uh, Advice and Consent later in his career, the man was a, 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 a intractable ham. But in this film, he plays it very low-key and yet extremely effective. Um, there's there's not a bit of chicanery or false moves, and I would assume Siadmak was able to get it from him. Now there is suspect they were good friends, Siadmak uh, and, and and Lawton, right? Lawton. Lawton, actually, Lawton learned from Siadmak a lot of the techniques that he employed in one of our picks uh, over the over last year, which of course Night of the Hunter. Um, he really Night of the Hunter has has you know has, has quite a bit of similarity uh, to actually Phantom Lady. I don't want to give Phantom Lady away, but the um, the the murderer in Phantom Lady also has issues with his hands, similar to Robert Mitchum's character as the preacher in Night of the Hunter. So, Siodmak did a great job uh, with Lawton, and you actually. Uh, it, 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 unlike most films where, you know, you're caught at the end, is this the end of Rico? Um, Siodmak does not do that. 
there is a sort of John Williams type of inspector who's after him, you know, uh, uh, Inspector Huxley from Scotland Yard, who knows what occurred, but just doesn't have the evidence and is trying to trip him up. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty decent Engl- performance, but I think both of these films are examples of how a, a, a director, of course, based on uh, the writer, um, but but being able to uh, put something forth that rises above the the tropes of the genre, and uh, again, you you don't always have a choice uh, to do the great epic like you know auteurs like Kubrick and even Hitchcock in his later years had, but I think uh, you know I, I think Robert Siadmak uh, and Kurt, let's let's put it this way. I think I think they have to be extolled as probably some of the the greatest brother team uh, in Hollywood history. You know, the Cone brothers, <laughs> they might have to move over because I think if you take the totality of what both of them did, I'm not even counting Criss Cross and the Killers and the other films that Siodmak made. Just what he did in 1944, and just what he did for Ella Raines in both of these films is is quite yeah it's it's wonderful it's like when you root for the murderer and you're very happy about all the people he kills i you know today uh i i'm not that familiar with the program but of course you know one of the most popular uh, programs today in uh, is dexter who is a serial killer who uh who kills all the bad guys and i think uh you know of course in hollywood you had to uh you know you you, you couldn't have a person in, in the 40s uh, you know, escape from a crime, but we all know that uh, you know these type of you know it, it, this ending doesn't seem to be tacked on. Uh, and without giving much away, uh, the only reason why uh, you know Charles Lawton's character does not escape uh, conviction for the two murders he's committed is because of his great nobility uh, for for the sake of another person. So you really end up instead of getting the story of of you know uh, like a blue angel type of story where you have an old man who's fallen helplessly in love with a femme fatale, which you had so many so often in in the Blue Angel and Edward G. Robinson's The Woman in the Window and Scarlet Street. Uh, here you have a film that the actual, as weird as it is, yeah, <laughs> you have this old fat guy and this young English girl, this young English girl, why not? <laughs> they seem to get along famously and really not much is is made of it, despite what the poster tries to trumpet. So <laughs> that's a bit of it, my friends. I think the Siodmax in there, Ghanaian, <laughs> let's hope they appreciate uh, how we have uh, tried to highlight them and uh they're worthy of exploring because there's plenty, there's a lot more uh, gold in them, their hills than we've uh, brought to the table today. So watch your step on the way and everybody take care, everybody. With- Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 